Hello, I'm Daniel Simpson, the host of Ancient Futures. And if you're hearing this, you're listening to a preview of an archived podcast. For the full conversation, go to ancientfutures.substack.com. The link is in the show notes and become a paid subscriber. Or you can also sign up for a free seven day trial with no obligation. If you already subscribe, however, you have access to everything via the website um, where you can go to your account page to set up a feed to your favourite podcast app. Just follow the instructions at ancientfutures.substack.com forward slash account. Now, everything is free at the time of release, so it's also possible to subscribe without any charge to get the latest episodes direct to your inbox, along with other interviews and things that I write. All of that does take time to produce, though, so while it's a labour of love, subscriber donations do help make it sustainable. But if you're not in a position to pay, just send me a message and we'll work something out. For now, on with the preview. Hello and welcome to Ancient Futures, in which we wonder if older means better and why famous yoga teachers hide innovations. Today's conversation builds on the last one. I'm talking to Mike Damasi about Krishnamacharya and his influential students, from BKS Iyengar and K. Patabi Joys to TKV Desikachar and Srivatsa Ramaswamy, among many others. <laughs> Now, people often say that yoga is timeless, but uh, many modern methods are recent inventions. So I'm really interested in what keeps them anchored in what came before, or else why call it yoga? <laughs> now, among other topics, we'll be talking about what tradition means when so much keeps changing, uh, whether some of the stories told by lineages stand up to scrutiny, and how one relates to Indian worldviews as an outsider, and why critique should be balanced with respect. Um, well, you can find out more about the podcast in general um, and also support it as a subscriber at ancientfutures.substack.com. For now, let's dive in with Mike Damasi. All right. Welcome, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be talking. Um, been a lot of typing between us over the years, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, you can come to know somebody quite well these days with all the different conduits for typing. But it's <laughs> not the shame as you know, even through a screen, being able to look at each other and have a proper conversation. So, thank you for taking up my invitation, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to exploring you know what it would be like to actually be speaking in real time rather than <laughs> typing a, an exchange of messages. Um, and just, mm -hmm. just to clarify for those who, who, who don't know me or don't know Mike, um, we've both been talking about yoga on the internet and uh, Mike has uh, put together a, a Facebook group with thousands of members now, I think, um, focusing on um, yeah, the, uh, well, perhaps the best known innovator in the history of modern yoga, uh, T. Krishnamacharya, and uh, some of the lineages of modern yoga practice that descend from him. So some of the best known are, you know, household names in the yoga world, particularly BKS Iyengar and Kepa Tubby Joys, but uh, they're far from the only ones. And uh, I wonder if you could uh, illuminate for, for some who might not know some of the other names who are important in that lineage. Well, uh, from the same Mysore period, there was uh, Indra Devi. Mm. So there's not a lot of content that I can find of, of people that are posting 
from that side of things, but there is David Leifar, who uh, he's is he in Argentina. I think so, or maybe he yeah. was from Argentina, maybe he's elsewhere now, but he's definitely from Argentina, and and he was a what appears to be a close disciple of Indra Devi, and every time he posts uh, something that I I can share, I, I put it to the group just to have that aspect uh, um, available in the group as well. Otherwise, I, I don't, myself, I don't know that much about uh, Indra Devi teachings, what that practice is necessarily like. I, I, oh, same. I've, I've, I've collected a bunch of books, but I have actually have yet to, to go through them. I just thumb through them and they're, they're interesting. And, and, and I could see that what she's taught, she was taught was obviously different than, than the, the Ashtanga Vinyasa series that uh, was being taught during that same period in the Mysore years. But beyond that, I haven't gone, gone into depth about it or seen the, the, the subtlety of what the breathing is like necessarily, although it seems like she is uh, talking about a breathing practice. I just don't know how similar it is to what we see with Deshikachar, for instance. So I don't know. Deshikachar being Krishnamacharya's son, uh, one of several, um, who was mm -hmm taught later in, in, in sort of uh, towards the second half of the 20th century in, in Chennai, in, in Tamil Nadu. Uh, but Indra Devi, you know, is basically <laughs> kind of taking yoga to Hollywood um, and really in some ways, you know, globalizing the ideas behind the practice. Uh, her early books, um, I've only read two of them, uh, Forever Young, Forever Healthy and Yoga for Americans. <laughs> and they're, right. yeah, they're really, they're really framing it as, yeah, it's a <laughs> fascinating book, uh, really framing it as, you know, sort of transformative practice for health and well-being. Um, it'll make you look good. There's a funny bit in uh, Forever Young, Forever Healthy at the back, which almost sounds like a women's magazine advice column, half, you know, shaming people while at the same time lifting them up and telling them, you know, you can be better than this. Um, so it's quite interesting to see that combined with obviously you know deep immersion in traditional yoga um mm. i'm just i'm just curious how how that strikes you compared to most of the others in the lineage who do you know seem to partly they were more <laughs> indian to begin with but they seem to have spoken more of a traditional yoga language right yeah i i could see your your, your point there and it's, it's certainly valid um yeah she's just coming from where she she was coming from I should read her the, the that bio that came out. Uh, the Goddess Pose, yeah, yeah, by Michelle Goldberg. That's a good read, yeah. But uh, yeah, it just seems like she she yeah she was admittedly not Indian herself. So what she what she's uh, presenting is her perspective. She didn't she didn't uh, uh, spend time with Krishnamacharya beyond uh, what probably two years or I don't know how long less, it was think, a short even, time. Yeah, yeah. it was just practice less than I anger even <laughs> yeah I mean yeah I think she just was it was mostly about diet and practice mm -hmm. uh, that she was learning from him but then I was thumbing through the books and she's even saying that she discourages the practice of pranayama which I thought was interesting because with Ramaswamy Deshikachar and uh, Mohan like they're all teaching pranayama so I should look at it more closely. Like I said, I don't know Indra Devi's teachings too well, but it seems like she's she's sort of cautious about pranayama, which I found interesting. <laughs> I guess, you know, I mean, if, if Iyengar's experience is anything to go by, you know, Krishnamacharya at that stage um, was perhaps more reluctant to teach pranayama. Um, he certainly didn't teach any to Iyengar, and you know, Iyengar muddled along struggling for quite some time. So obviously he emphasized some breath to Indra Devi because she went and wrote about having been taught it. But 
I just wonder if if breath became more of a focus, you think, for Krishnamacharya over the years, and and if so, why why he was highlighting that more perhaps in in the teaching that's been transmitted by some of his later students. Well, I don't. Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, even in 1934, the, the Yoga Makaranda, there's there's. Uh, instructions of the breath that are quite significant i think that mm -hmm. are taught by people like ramaswamy and, and deshikachar and and those 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 uh, folks otherwise uh with indra devi i'm not sure what what her where her caution is coming from um she she talks about how she had an experience where she was practicing to raise kundalini those, mm. But she also, she also learned from other teachers, so it's hard to, to say, and I haven't delved into it to, to be able to parse what's from which teacher and what's not. Uh, but yeah, she talks about some, like an experience of raising energy, and then she had a, some sort of a negative episode that followed, and, and she, did, she was saying that she didn't realize that she was also supposed to bring the energy down after to balance it. And I, I've, I haven't really come across this kind of teaching in Krishnamacharya um teaching so i'm, I'm almost uh, I'm, I'm almost certain it's maybe coming from another teacher that that she has this this supposition about the pranayama and, and a certain reluctance about it and caution because otherwise even in yoga makaranda he's talking about kumbhaka and asanas that's not even transmitted in the practice of uh, patabi joyce nor of uh, bks anger but deshikachar teaches it ramaswami teaches it um mm -hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of nuance in <clears throat> Yoga Makaranda that just didn't go get transmitted through the the major uh, pupils like BKS and BKS Anger and Patabi Joyce. So yeah, and there's even some mantraka practice talking about uh, practicing with with mantras, mm -hmm. which is not even the first instance of that. You know, you know it appears in the Giranda Samhita. No, absolutely. Yeah, it goes back a long way. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, it's interesting though that what, what he seems to be doing is um yeah, drawing on lots of strands um and very deeply studying um for himself but presenting you know what the situation requires so in his early teaching career he had a specific task really he was you know hired as kind of in-house tutor um to the royal family effectively and then uh, you know, took on other tasks as as and when, for example, <laughs> ministering to Indra Devi when she rocks up and gets the Maharaja to basically <laughs> tell him to teach her. Um, but uh, I guess later in life, you know, things broadened out a bit. And uh, I wonder if you could just say a little bit for those who maybe don't know so much about some of those teachers, particularly Ramaswamy, who has had you know, clearly a significant influence on you, um, what it is that they're teaching and, and how that differs from from what people might be more familiar with as ashtanga yoga or ayenga yoga right well it's a good question because it is true that the the teaching of those teachers is uh relatively lesser known to that of bks anger and uh and uh type joyce um it's notable to to mention that tkv tkv deshikachar is the middle brother there's an older brother that we don't know much about. I think his name is Srinivasan, and he decided to uh, not teach. Uh, I don't think it's it's been written somewhere that he decided to focus on uh, Mimamsa and was uh, really into the darshanas. But I don't know if he was teaching many people or certainly not Westerners. Whereas 
Tikavikdesh Kesher is the middle son, and then there's the youngest son, TK Shribashim, mm-hmm. who's even lesser known, but uh, he's certainly uh, one one person that did establish a school in Europe that also split into various branches in Europe. Um, he has a couple of books. He's unfortunately passed, like his his uh, older brother. But then there's also the the daughters of Krishnamacharya. There's Sri Shubha, Srimati Shubha, um, which I think maybe she lives in Bangalore. But again, it's not very public where where she's teaching. Uh, she's not in the public eye as much as her her older brothers. Um, and I'm not sure if the others uh, daughters. Shimati's uh, Shuba's sisters are still around. They're in the Breath of the Gods documentary. Yeah, um, that's a that's a good watch for getting an overview of uh, you know a sort of completely different perspective on practice in a way. I mean, he does in that film that the the director go and talk to Iyengar and Patabi Joys so while they were both still alive, um, but then you know, goes off the deep end into into a much deeper form of practice in some ways, as you're talking about breath retention kumbhaka is part of the part of the practice and uh, a much slower approach and uh, again yeah I'm, I'm just curious if you could characterize because i know you've got experience sure. in both <laughs> ayanga and ashtanga yoga it almost ha- how it feels in the body and mind to be approaching yoga in that way rather than the the more jumping around or uh, drill instructor <laughs> get, get you get your body aligned kind of a way um yeah well I can only say from from my experience, I've I've felt that uh, to at a certain point, obviously there's different people have different preferences, and there's people that stay with Ashtanga Vinyasa all their lives or or whatnot, and Iyengar Yoga as well. But at at a certain point, I was uh, growing hungry for for learning more about the subtleties of the breath that I wasn't getting in Iyengar Yoga or in uh, Ashtanga Vinyasa. Uh, also wanting to learn about about the yoga sutras and, and I was seeing that Ramaswamy was was a teacher he is still teaching uh, many texts other than the yoga sutras texts that he learned from his his teacher and uh, that's the side of Krishnamacharya that's often not um, emphasized that he was actually also a scholar a scholar mm. practitioner or I don't know you were talking about a semantic <laughs> nuance practitioner scholar or scholar practitioner I don't, I don't know about that but uh, well that's a, it's a good point I think he might be one of the few who was probably you know both equally in some way I mean he was obviously a devoted yoga practitioner and teacher but uh, you know, he does seem to have been uh, you know, a, a yoga nerd when it came to textual study um, and uh, in fact as we were just sort of preparing to talk I, I was reaching for this which a friend lent me which is a, a very early publication of of, uh, you know, Ramaswamy's talking about it's called the basic tenets of Patanjali yoga so you know this I don't know when it was but it's probably the 1970s by the looks of it um wow yeah, you was... actually have the, <laughs> a copy of it because I, I have a pdf <laughs> that he he's given to his students but uh, mm. that's an actual copy from the original it is yeah no I, I, <laughs> it belongs to Ranji Roy and I should return it but um, he very kindly lent it to me but along with a bunch of other texts that I've not properly delved into and I suddenly realized I really ought to um, but you're right yeah this emphasis on I mean there's a lot of curiosity I think amongst practitioners in yeah 
all of these branches of the Christian Macharya tradition, because Iyengar in his later life did, did you know, talk about philosophy and certainly put it in his books enough that people feel they ought to know more about it than they perhaps do, but they, they tend to mainly read his books and in the Ashtanga world. Um, yeah, talking about yoga philosophy, as I do quite a bit uh, in, in public, uh, a large number of people who who, who want to study um, are from that practice background. They've got a, you know, I guess, an association even through the naming of that practice with the idea that there's more to it. There's eight parts, Ashtanga, um, and not just therefore the the, the, you know, the, the physical uh, dynamism. Um, and so, so they are curious, but there isn't somewhere to turn to so much um, in 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 the average yoga shala. People know the text; they might recite them, and they might have some. Uh, you know, immersion in them. Some teachers are, you know, really drawn to philosophy, but uh, you know, it's, it's not everyone's cup of tea. <laughs> and uh, I think that's really the question that that sort of stays with me as I think more and more about yoga. Um, what is the function of philosophy in relation to practice? Um, why do we need to immerse ourselves in this sort of thing? Well, there's there's a a quote that's um, supposedly from Krishnamacharya that. Uh, Mohan brings up, who's also, I guess I didn't mention, he's also one, one of these people from this uh, Madras, Chennai years, A.G. Mohan. I, I'm just paraphrasing, I, I can't find the exact words, but basically to the effect of study without practice, uh, is uh, there's not much of use because it's, it's uh, just intellectual uh, pursuit, whereas practice without study is dangerous and uh, because it's blind. So it's important to do both. So that's that's an an interesting perspective, and and that's generally the the spirit of uh, the way Ramaswamy teaches as well. That uh, it's important to consider both, and it's not just a, a philosophy that's uh, theoretical and intellectual, but it's something very practical. Um, and uh, and yeah, it, it it guides the practice. It gives us a, a an understanding of what's the greater context instead of what uh, we end up doing if we just uh, externally are exposed to a physical practice practice without being exposed to what is the context of all of this <laughs> and what do you think that context is for a 21st century practitioner um whatever right. their background yeah and i know this is a uh, one of the the points that you you bring up what is relevant to the modern practitioner um well first i'll bring up that the krishnamacharya was uh, not imposing anyone to to necessarily adopt his his viewpoint and he was open to teaching individuals uh practices that are are appropriate to them ramaswami talks about it and deshikachar certainly spent a great deal of uh, emphasis uh on on teaching that approach of not having a single approach, but being just uh, always teaching what's appropriate to whatever individual is, is seeking out uh, yoga practice. And then there's a quote that you're familiar with, I'm sure, in a Q&A with Krishnamacharya where he's he's asked, um, it's funny because he's asked, what is, a, what is yoga asana? But then he gives a pretty broad answer. But, he, but it, basically you can see that he's, he's saying that um, for a person that's a devout, he could he could teach them about yoga as the union of the individual soul with the the uh, the paramatman the, the universal soul if you want to translate it that way 
or someone who's not devout but uh, but accepts the the idea of the purusha they can they can gravitate towards that understanding which of course we see in in yoga sutra and also sankhya karika for instance sankhya darshana and then if someone is not interested in that they can at least benefit from from uh, um, some some hatha procedures let's say to benefit the prana and the the organs and the indriyas so different people can benefit on different levels but uh, it's obviously important to, if someone is going to go into it to, more deeply to at least understand what is the, the context of all of this and then there's the, the thing that you're saying well isn't patanjala patanjala yoga supposed to be for renunciants like isn't isn't that really what patanjali is pointing to and uh, certainly there is there is that but um i wouldn't shy away from from accepting that this text can have a broad application, especially if we consider that older texts like the Bhagavad Gita that talks about many concepts found in Sankhya and Yoga, but of course with a Vedantin orientation. But still, there's a it's presented as, as yoga for someone in the midst of, of performing his worldly duties. He's not renouncing Arjuna is not uh, instructed to renounce. He's, he's instructed to practice yoga as, as a as a a dharmi or or someone performing his dharma as duties. So, anyways, I know you you don't like to mix these kinds of understandings. We should listen, see Yoga Sutra as the text that is. Patanjali is talking about renunciants and. I think yeah i think it's okay to to acknowledge that but also that we can also understand it more broadly also because krishnamacharya was also adapting to the pra practitioner in front of him and he was also adapting the the clear methodology of meditation found in yoga sutra according to what he wanted to meditate upon which was the lord because he was mm -hmm. ultimately uh, a bhakta at heart so and he was a uh, his personal definition of yoga would probably be more that that definition of jivatman paramatman sanyoga, which is obviously not what Patanjali is talking about, but that's his personal. Well, that uh, was quite striking in, in in that quote you were referring to in a way that sort of entry level is you know physical practice for physical benefits. Uh, next level is this uh, yoga sutra, still the mind, you know, have clear consciousness, but that's not the goal for him. The goal actually wasn't framed by Patanjali yoga. It was union with the divine and uh that's a different philosophical system in a way although many <laughs> of uh you know, the sort of texts between the time of these uh, early compositions like the yoga sutra and the modern era have jumbled it all up together so that you know it's it's hard to separate the strands out anymore and i think that's perhaps the biggest distinction between uh you know, modern yoga teaching and um if we were to rewind say a thousand plus years uh all of these different philosophical schools used to argue with each other. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Thanks for tuning in to this preview. Uh, to continue listening and to get access to all archived episodes along with other perks, visit ancientfutures.substack.com.